Hello, my name is Juan de Castro and you're listening to Making Risk Flow. Every episode, I sit down with my industry-leading guests to demystify digital risk flows, share practical knowledge, and help you use them to unlock scalability in commercial insurance. Last week, we held a fantastic event in London with some of our clients and partners. I had the pleasure of leading a panel discussion with Simon McGinn, Chief Executive of Allianz Commercial Lines in the UK, and Richard Coleman, Managing Director at Ecclesiastical. They are two very different insurers. Allianz is one of the top three largest UK insurers, while Ecclesiastical, at smaller scale, is a leader in some niche and specialty lines. We talked about plenty of topics, from their vision for commercial insurance, their priorities, and how they are approaching their transformation programs. It was particularly insightful to hear the similarities and differences in those topics, as well as the tips around what has worked and lessons along the way. Hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Perhaps Simon and Richard, if you introduce yourselves directly, that would be fantastic. So uh, Simon again, I am the CEO for Allianz Commercial in the UK. So we've got a business of about 1.5 billion rights, all PNC, motor fleet lines, trades exclusively through brokers, through a branch network of 12 these days, 12 locations across the UK. So so that's us. And we're in the midst of a major business transformation program from a, an Alliance Group and an Alliance UK perspective. So I'm uh, Richard Coleman. I'm Managing Director of Ecclesiastical. I think we're the counterpoint to Alliance. We're the, we're the smaller and specialist insurer, so we're a factor smaller than 1.5, 1.5 billion, desperately trying to get larger. Succeeding, grew by about 30, 40% in the last last three years. Very much specialist. And I suspect, you know, as you talk through some of the topics, we'll probably touch on what specialist means. But broadly, we've got an intermediary business which focuses on particularly heritage risks and real estate risks. So we're very, very strong in property. And that comes from our background, which originally started in the 1890s, insuring churches. So we still insure a huge amount of the Anglican church. So all the cathedrals and most of the parish churches around the UK in our direct business. Thank you. This was by design. So we, we are going to be talking about digital risk flows in commercial insurance. I thought it was an interesting perspective to have a massive player like Allianz and a very specialty niche one like Ecclesiastical. I think through the panel, we can discuss similarities and differences in the way you think about digitizing your business and those digital risk flows. So perhaps starting with you, Simon, you mentioned you've got this very large transformation program. What's your view on how will you thrive in the next stage of growth? What do you want to need to get right? Some of the priorities of that transformation. Sure. So we are right at the beginning of a very large program. We have some done some work with you guys in terms of delivering componentry, but we're still at the very beginning. In terms of the way in which we, we sort of intend to digitalize our commercial business, in some ways, it's going to be quite easy because we start from a relatively low base. We've got a 1980s mainframe where, you know, green screens that underwriters use that does nothing more really than do basic policy admin. We've sort of surrounded that with lots of spaghetti of old platforms that sort of plug together and nobody quite sure how they all work, but they do seem to sort of stand up. So therefore, the transformation journey we're on is going to be very dramatic, even though it will take you know, multiple years to get there. I think the vision we have is about turning ourselves from an organization that has prided itself on its technical excellence capability, but that's largely a human capital sort of asset that we have. One we wish to retain, one we think makes a massive difference for us. We have sort of that as a core capability. We have an approach 
that largely has been consistent in terms of how we face the market, who we trade with, what sort of business we like. So, you know, we are consistently boring, but brokers know what we want Mm. and how we do it. And we sort of stretch that envelope a bit. So we're kind of a known quantity. We like to be sort of very technically excellent and we drive the normal sort of KPIs that any business will drive, which is about, you know, what's your margin? How are you driving efficiency and productivity improvements on a long-term basis? But I think we've reached the stage and probably five or six years ago, we probably reached the stage where that model to compete with people who are smaller, more agile, or who are big and have gone through their sort of transformation program, we're essentially in a position where we're asking our teams to run twice as fast as everybody else to keep up. And that becomes exhausting, it becomes challenging, and you get to a point now where you can't actually run any faster. So what we're trying to do is take those core capabilities around that consistent approach to market, that clarity of appetite, the sort of technical excellence, and then sort of put it on steroids by digitalizing the data flows within the organization. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have fragmented data to piece together, takes teams of people to do the data engineering rather than actually do the analysis and the production and deploying that into a capable, usable format. We want that sort of end-to-end data flow across the value chain. We want to improve our ability to deliver service quicker to brokers where we choose to, enabling ourselves to be more informed about, you know, which distribution we wish to play with at any one time, to be able to better select risk. So pretty standard insurer stuff. But also within that, I think one of the things we're really keen on is is getting to the stage where we can talk to our intermediaries and to our customers on the basis that we know them. We know you and we understand you, not to the extent that we know their business better than they do. I think we'd get shot if we turned up and tried to tell somebody, well, we know what all of your risks are and how you should be run. It's not that. It's just about in a competitive marketplace where, you know, frankly, my main competitors offer very similar products, very similar service propositions and are trying to compete on the same things. That ability to sort of have pull through the distribution channel by demonstrating an understanding of particular customer segments, particular sort of business profiles and the likely and potential needs and wants that we can service from a group like Allianz, which in the UK has still got four or five different components. You know, we do trade credit through to travel, through to, you know, the global programs, et cetera, trying to bring all of those things to bear in a way that is not just throwing lots of stuff at a wall to see what sticks, but being able to build propositions and to enable brokers to be more successful by helping them understand how they can win in a very competitive market. And and one of the things that we think the digitalization of the business and the platform, plus the sort of ability to enrich our understanding of risk with further information, we think that will give us that ability to work much harder in understanding the customer. So you even just talked about productivity, about efficiency, maintaining this boring, consistent risk selection that obviously will make you successful. You've talked about broker service and quick turnaround time. I know you guys talk a lot about making commercial insurance a flow business. Yeah. So is that at the core of how you're going to deliver on those objectives? Absolutely. It has to be a flow business. And I think the thing for me is that it has to be flow, including the intermediary and the broker, so that you're plugging in data. So you're not sort of spending a lot of time as our teams do at the moment in our regions where, you know, somebody's sending them data, we turn it, pick it up, turn it around, put it into us. You know, then we say, oh, can you now give us this? And we send it back and then it comes back again. And we waste all this time and effort and cost 
on transacting. And I think the sort of vision we have longer term would be to be able to sort of integrate with the broker platforms through the APIs to actually ensure, you know, if they're going in and they've seen a client and they're updating their records, well, that should just flow straight into us. Mm-hmm. Where it hits our sort of rating capabilities, it should be able to just sort of do simple midterm adjustments without anybody being involved. And the broker can be confident and the client can be confident that we've bound a risk. That's where ultimately we want to get to and have the underwriters and the experts that we've got add value where it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. At the end, all of that has to do with kind of efficiency digitization, but has to do with broker service. Absolutely. Too, right? So it's not just an efficiency. I mean, efficiency is a way of a scaling growth. So how would you define the type of broker service you want to give in the next few years? I suppose in a very simplistic term, faster and more efficient mm-hmm. and, and one where you deliver elements of self-service, which aren't a sort of a game of what can I get you to do so that I save the money and you have the cost. I think there is so much cost in the system and friction in the system that actually there's a massive win for both parties. Now, the challenge for my distribution guys would be making sure we hold on to half of the win rather than give it all away to our brokers. Mm. But that's a normal sort of competitive environment. But yeah, I think there's so much friction in the, in the system that we've got some real opportunity. Yeah. And then part of that is, I think, what you mentioned about API integration with your distribution partners. So how far away do you think that is? Because we've been talking about that in the industry mm. for a number of years. I think we're a good way away yet. So as ever with these bigger programs, I mean, we've got all of the business I've sort of referenced already across multiple lines that have got to be sort of put onto the new platform. And we're right at the beginning. So, you know, I'd be quite happy if I can get sort of a data flow that goes from sort of new business quote all the way through to claims and the data just flows through my internal platform to start with. That will be a big win. And so I think it's probably a few years away yet, but we've got a real clarity about that's where we want to be. And, you know, one of the things that helps us is within the, certainly with the larger brokers, is sort of consolidation that the brokers are going through. They've got exactly the same operation efficiency challenges. They're going to have the same data challenges. And so there is a point at which those come together. And who knows, with, you know, smart companies like you guys around, there'll probably be a way that you don't need to do all the integration. You can put it through some clever thing and it will just turn up in the right place. I, I don't know. That, that, that's where I run out of any sort of sense of <laughs> knowing what's going on. And magic will happen. Magic will happen. That's all I That was a summary. <laughs> Thank you, Simon. So, Richard, from your perspective, so we've heard efficiency, productivity, broker service. Do the same objectives apply as a niche specialty insurer? Yes, in, in some areas. It's, but it's probably worth sharing a few things that are slightly different between the two companies and some of the unique, more unique problems we'll face into. So service for us is a huge opportunity. So if you're an Allianz broker, you're used to dealing with Allianz, you understand what Allianz do. If you find an ecclesiastical risk, you probably find it one time in 10 or 20 Mm. that comes across your desk. So muscle memory is not our friend. So actually, we find service engagement a really interesting opportunity because that enables us to add value to the broker. It enables us to spend a bit of time talking about why our proposition really works for, e.g., a heritage product. So pure flow probably isn't necessarily what we want, and I'm not sure it's necessarily what drives broker satisfaction. We have very high broker satisfaction at the moment and have done for a long time. And that's, I think, because we can add a lot of value when we have that empowered, engaged conversation with somebody who's got a fairly difficult risk to place. So that's one thing for us, muscle memory, using service and using engagement as an opportunity to get across. The other challenge we face with our size is we're not 1.4, 1.5 billion pounds of, of turnover, we're considerably less. And that changes the dynamics of how much you can afford to invest at scale. 
So the last few years have become really interesting in, in that sort of transformation background. And we're going through a big transformation we can maybe talk about later on. But the world now of a more API connected world, a world where actually there are lots of people like Saitora who do really interesting things, are very interesting to a company like ours because we can't afford to invest in scale, but connecting into partners who are doing interesting things is a really useful way. Because having said that we treat service and engagement as an opportunity, it doesn't mean we don't want to take, take the efficiency out. It doesn't mean that we don't want underwriters kind of doing exactly what they're doing in an Allianz, by the way. We have a 1980s green screen steam mm. with loads of peripheral stuff around the outside that no one really quite knows how it got there or how it works. Mm. We're in a very, very similar place. So we want to take that out, but be thoughtful about where we still intervene, where that adds value and how we leverage it. So as a niche insurer, it's about educating certain brokers about what's your appetite, what type of risks do you want to see, what are, what's the ecclesiastical type of risk, mm. right? I guess the question is, can technology help there? And I think one of the things we see with other specialty insurers is it's quite complicated to educate hundreds of insurance companies. If each of them have to educate brokers on their appetite, it becomes quite a burden. So can technology play a role there where you stop almost educating brokers? And you just say, hey, partners, and just send me any submission, right? And then I will be able to use technology to spot the really the ones that are ecclesiastical risks for yeah. me. One theme I might try and pick up on today is we, I'm going to try and be a bit controversial for some fun, right? right? So we're trying not to talk about digital or technology transformation, but talk about business transformation mm -hmm. with digital or technology as one of the ways in which you might achieve it. And this is a good example. So we try to solve that problem a bit at the moment by saying to brokers, well, if it looks a bit heritage and you think it might be one for us, send it to us and we'll have a look. Because it's really important. We can't get brokers to spend the time and effort unless they're really specialist and in our areas, truly understanding our appetite to know quite what to send us. Which means we manually, at the moment, triage very, very heavily. So our dynamic of quote funnel would look like a very low quote rate and a very high strike rate. We spend mm -hmm. a lot of time sifting. When we find something that works for us, we engage deeply and it tends to, tends to stick with us. So can technology play a little bit of that role and take out some of that sifting for us? We think absolutely. It's not easy. We are working with Saitora for full disclosure around trying that to solve some of that triage problem. And it isn't easy. The data's there, but it's how you map that into your underwriting appetite, how you make that work. It's a real sort of iterative journey. You're right. It is not easy for many reasons. One of them is often it's not black or white, right? It's not like you can write on a piece of paper what is the ecclesiastical risk define it in, in, in rules right it often is like underwriters have this call it gut feeling or experience right to identify what is yeah That's sometimes equally scary when you're running an insurance company right you know so you know how much do you want to trust that how consistent is that across yeah. x amount of underwriters the, the problem is the alternative is probably not good either right because no. when you say you've got humans doing the triage what we find particularly with you guys and many of our other clients is you often have the most senior underwriters doing that triage. Sometimes. Right? Because they are the ones who understand what the ecclesiastical risk is. Yeah, and, and it's difficult when you're trying to get into qualitative factors where you do want people to do it. I'll give you a practical example. We'll write heritage hotels, but we'll only write them if they're really good quality. If you ask one underwriter what does really good quality mean, he goes, well, if I look at the menu and I think I'd eat there, <laughs> that's good. If you ask another one, then they'll look at things like rack rate. Don't you know what? Those are all really good, and we've got great underwriters who make, on the whole, really, really good judgments. But that's quite different, and you know, actually, maybe one of those ways is better than the other. We don't really know because we don't track on which basis we select, and then how that flows through into loss ratio. So the subsequent data flow, when you can start to do that, is really interesting. 
So I guess it starts with that data flow, right? It's being able to, through better data capture, it's all identifying like what are the drivers of a good risk. Is it the restaurant many or is it something else? Right? Yeah. So you, you also touched on your uh, transformation program. It would be nice just to understand like what are your priorities, your areas of focus in that program. Yeah, so I can unburden myself here, right? So, <laughs> so I inherited a transformation program in flight to deal with you know, exactly the same issue we just talked about. And there's a real danger with these programs, and, and I certainly didn't start out that way, but there's a real danger over time. It becomes a core legacy replacement program, mm. and that has very, very little commercial value. Yeah. We do have end-of-life platforms, those 1980s platforms. People just aren't around to code them anymore. So actually, it's less the support and more, God, the developers are 79 years old, and they're going to want to retire at some point. <laughs> we sort of face that end-of-life issue, and... What we've been spending a lot of time trying to do is to talk much more about, as I say, business transformation. So we do have to move the core forward, but how can we transform the business on the journey as we go through? And that's required quite a lot of hard thinking that isn't natural to business leaders. So what is the value that I, that I really drive? So for us as a specialist, you know, that deep engagement is really important. That personalization of policy is really important. But at what point does all that complexity get in the way versus actually add value? So we're spending a lot of time trying to be very, very clear about what's the business value and the business outcome we're trying to drive. How much of that could or should be done through technology? How much of it could or should be done in a different way? Because you can pour a lot of money into recreating the complexity you've already got, or you can try and be much more critical about the business value you're trying to drive with digital data or technology as one of the ways in which you might do it but candidly a very expensive and difficult way to do it. Let's talk about lessons learned. So in the way you're transforming the business and you're adapting it to thrive in the next few years, what do you think is working really well and what are some lessons learned? Yeah, we're still, as I say, relatively early in the, in the process. I say that we're two years in, we've got a plan and we've got some coding going on. So, so we're, we're a bit further along. But I mean, there's, to your question, so the lessons we learned, firstly, in a group the size of Alliance, the size and scale of the stakeholder groups that you have to get on board to get anything moving forwards is probably the biggest personal lesson that myself and the, the director that runs Transformation and our COO have experienced. That has been quite mind-boggling. You know, we've sat in board meetings with a paper taken to the PLC board saying, all right, we're going to do this, and we've got everybody assigned, and then somebody crops up from part of the business as well. We don't agree. We haven't seen this. And you think, mm -hmm. well, where did you come from? And <laughs> um, what's your interest in this? So, I mean, in any organisation, I, I suppose it gets harder if you're in Alliance and there's, you know, 150,000 people and all around the globe and you're using your global capabilities to deliver different parts of the transformation and therefore that just on its own pure geography and time zone makes that hard. So that would be one lesson. I think the other things we both know is right but also have surprised ourselves as to we're not quite as right as we thought we were is you know we always say oh you know but the UK is different and particularly when you're driving a global sort of platform and capability which is what we're sort of plugged into we're actually leading it on behalf of the group when you really get into it I, I sort of make the point well yeah I go to Leeds and they tell me they're really different market to Manchester and Manchester mm -hmm. really different to Birmingham and of course on one level they absolutely are but on most levels absolutely <laughs> not it's exactly the same and I think one of the things that we've learned is to really challenge ourselves about 
just because we've done this this way for so many years and it's the right way and you know because our underwriters prefer to do things that way that doesn't mean that you can't get better synergies by looking at products in a combined way and saying well what about if we did all of this in a similar way now you've obviously in the uk got to consider the broker and how does the market work but you know challenging ourselves to actually really ask how much simpler can we make the business process by being more consistent and more uniform i think is one of the big lessons we've learned and i think the other thing as well that we've learned is that there are good ideas from outside of the uk again because we do generally have I still believe the world's most competitive commercial insurance market, and some of it is just completely irrational what goes on in our market at times that makes it sort of very different to lots of other areas. There are still some very good ideas from around the globe that you can bring in. And, and so, you know, that's probably a very alliancy type statement. But I think we've learned an awful lot around that. And then the other thing then is is the adoption piece with getting our underwriters to start to use the new capabilities we're a bit earlier in the journey, I think, with you, but I absolutely buy your point about it's not a cool platform replacement process. We are going to completely turn our business model on its head, hopefully, and do things that are much more sensible, reorganize ourselves, have different skill sets, have different approaches, all those things that you have to start thinking about. But just with some of the early deliveries, getting the underwriter to trust that the information that's been provided to them, even though they used it and they used to go after it from five different sources, but because they went and got it themselves, they knew that it was okay. Trying to get that adaption and utilization and trust is probably something we knew we would experience, but it's, it's one of the biggest challenges. And then kind of gaining the trust of the underwriters is mm. probably one of the biggest drivers of success. And you're doing it quite well, actually. Kind of well, the team we work with, with Jonathan, Paul, and, and Jason, etc. I mean, you guys won the change team of the year at Allianz. So clearly things are going well, and then kind of underwriters are trusting you. Absolutely. What have you done? differently well it's not really well I've, I, obviously it was all down to me but uh, <laughs> you know, there's, the, a, there's a little bit that the for you no, i think i forget who i was talking to it might have been richard earlier you know the, there is actually for us something that's quite new and different which is here's something that we're giving you which is actually going to make your lives easier and is exciting and gives you more dimensions than just it's a nice sort of automation process that moves data from here to there it's actually adding new insight and i think you know, the way in which the team have piloted it, the way in which they've got some real advocates, and, and I don't know whether we did, but I think we took some of the more sort of cynical underwriters in some of our locations and said, what about that then? Mm. And, you know, I, I think like most of them sort of, ah, yeah, I've seen all this stuff before, it won't be very good. And then we, we had a couple where we got some verbatims from, the, from an underwriter who it enabled them to sort of look at a risk that they would ordinarily have just put on the no-quote pile. And actually they looked at it, got some more information and were able to sort of say, oh, I'll write that then, and, we did, and bound a risk. And I think generating excitement is the short answer to your question. Yeah. Excitement about something new and different that does actually do what it says, but also not over-promising. You know, what we've got is quite a basic instance at the moment, and we're adding more to it, and there'll be more to come. So I think that's the best way. Again, the last point, really, that, you know, the degree and speed with which that sort of feedback has been picked up within the UK then suddenly creates a demand. But but more importantly, from a group perspective, you know, the group is looking at this and saying, okay, given our aspirations around, you know, commercial business, integrated sort of businesses around the world looking at commercial, et cetera, how do we get everybody else excited and interested about it? So there's a lot of sort of positive PR going on. There'll be, I'm sure, a degree of cynicism. And yeah, we've heard it before. But um, I, I think we can actually show the 
show the progress and show the success. And in the start of a very big program, having something early that you get a win, I think really builds confidence as you go through. So I don't think that's rocket science, but no, it's, it's how we've done it. It's not rocket science, but it's not easy to get right either, right? Mm. I think that that's a good case study. How about you, Richard, in terms of the lessons learned from the transformation, what's worked well, what hasn't, what would you do differently? A lot. Um, no, so I, don't, I completely agree with everything you said there. I'll probably focus on a slightly different angle of people and perhaps the people who are doing the change. So we've just gone through to the stage where we have dropped the new platform into our church team, our direct team. And that's been a really, really difficult journey. What have we have learned is mainly about people and the people doing the change. I am so much more confident about the next series of changes we're going to do because we've got a cadre of people who've been through that process. And we become much, much clearer about what the pain points were earlier on and where the pain points are now. And they do come to how people interact and how they think. So we have pushed very, very hard to make it much more of a business-led transformation in the, in the latter stages, which is hard, right? Because you get people like me, general insurance people, who've been doing it for 25 years, not necessarily techie people, but having to be conversant in a language they're not necessarily used mm -hmm. to being con conversant in. You have to really make sure those business people are super clear about the value they're trying to drive and have those really, really hard conversations up front. I suspect some of why this journey was hard to our first release was because we created a little bit of complexity early on rather than really pushing it out. This was about this core system replacement, right? Yes, indeed. But if I, uh, yeah, and if I give you an example about this next iteration we're looking at, there were 140 value-driving items that came out from the teams they wanted in this piece, and we've got a cadre of people I might just dwell on in a second, actually, to really challenge that really hard. And now there are 19 items that are driving 80% of the value that 140 did. So, right, okay, we'll go build those first and, and then, of course, iterate from there. Uh, and we've had to really look into our business to find the kind of people who are capable of thinking a bit more like a business architect and a bit more about thinking about what really value and challenge is. Uh, so we deliberately created these domain owners across all of our kind of key functions the people with enough technical know-how and enough reputation in the business to, to carry the, the sort of the, the broader stakeholder group you need to carry, but not so much died in the wall, kind of, this is my kind of territory, it must be done this way, that they can kind of collaborate. And they were all of a similar sort of age and, and, and vintage within the business. So that's been super powerful. All of a sudden, people are having cross-domain conversations, pushing things through in the right way, looking very, very hard at, at business value. And then you've got a technology team that in previous lives would have been, you know, the sort of the wrongdoers at the back end who we've really embraced. So we've really tried hard to make this a business program and been really clear that stuff's going to go wrong. And when stuff goes wrong, we've all got to pitch in and figure out how to do it. Don't get into that situation with either your own people or worse, the supplier, which I've seen in previous lives. So about people, I would say, is probably the biggest thing. It's not about technology. It's not about programming. There's a component of technology and process, but it's more about... Kind of how do you manage the people involved in transformation and how do you involve underwriters and other stakeholders? Right? Yeah, I mean, I'll get my terminology wrong here, but we, we've had that conversation very recently, not so much from the implementation point, but it's a, one of these journeys you're never going to end in terms of how do you can transformation going of, of your business. And, and we're now starting to look at, okay, so what we really need is we need product owners within our business that are going to have that blend of, you know, they understand the business, they understand the technology and whatever else as well. And how do you actually build that capability? Because you, you usually start, you either understand the business or understand the technology, and then it takes time to transfer the two. And, and for us and our business to be 
sort of very flexible and, and able to be, I was trying to avoid the word agile, but agile <laughs> going forward, we're going to need that sort of skill set. And, and we don't have training thoughts yet about how you build that sort of capability systematically. And, and I think that's a massive, massive component for us going forward. So perhaps as a, as a kind of last question, if you had like a magic wand and you could make something appear from a capability perspective or from a technology perspective, what would that be? I would like it so that our underwriters only spend their time making judgments about risks, risk quality, and then trading and engaging with brokers and customers to explain what we offered them. That's where I'd like them to spend their time. So if we could A, do that, and B, have it done quickly so I don't have to sponsor it for another three years, that, yeah, would, be, exactly. that would be fantastic. <laughs> Which is funny because that is a core component of making commercial insurance flow, right? This is, is how can you digitize risks up front so that you remove all the double king, like data flows through your systems, which is easier said than done. But that is one of the fundamentals, right? Yeah. I mean, for me, if it was a really big magic wand, if you could just do the whole transformation there and then, Tomorrow. that would be great. But I mean, more specifically, I think one of the things for us globally would be a single customer ID. Mm -hmm. So we understand where we've got the same customer within our organization on a global basis um, and even in a UK basis. Because if, if, to my earlier point, if we're, uh, as we intend to be much more sort of customer orientated and, and segmented in all meanings of the phrase, then we need to know who we already touch and which customer we've got. And, and if I could have one thing overnight, it would be that. Are you actually working on that as a group, right? So you've got this initiative about single customer ID. Yeah. yeah. So it will be done. It doesn't need the magic one. It's been said, so yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Making Risk Flow is brought to you by Zytora. If you enjoy this podcast, consider subscribing to Making Risk Flow in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, so you never miss an episode. To find out more about Zytora, visit Zytora.com. Thanks for joining me. See you next time.